name is Sarah Medanik, and I am the president and CEO of the Gord Dami and Chenron Jack Fund, which is why I've probably been invited here today. However, I am a sister and an auntie and a daughter and a community member. I'm a member of the Métis Nation of Alberta. I've been in Toronto eight years, and more importantly, I think I am a lover of all things that uh, strive to make Canada a better place. I'm actually very happy that you're here, to be honest with you. Um, I had spent the better part of 2017 looking for um, an Indigenous person to come here and talk to me. And I found someone. Um, Who was it? It oh my goodness and now his name escapes. Chippewar is what he goes by. Uh, Jay Soul. Yeah. You know him, uh, or I know, know who of he him. Is. You know who he is. Yeah. Um, and he's notorious. He is, and I love the way he speaks. I love his passion. Um, he holds me to account, um, and and I appreciate him for that. And so so he came, and then the reason why twenty seventeen. Uh, obviously because of uh, Canada 150, and I said I need to get another perspective because I'm hearing all of these things from commercials and brands and, and everything. And so you and I just met a, literally a week ago today because yeah. we happened to be... Um, walking by. Yeah, wa- <laughs> wa- yeah, absolutely, um, walking by. And, and so I said, hey, let's let's sit down and, and, and chat. So thank you so much uh, for, for coming in. Um and so I also want to say that I'm very ignorant about a lot of these issues. Um, I'm still learning. So um, if I say things that might sound ignorant, it's because I literally am. Can I just stop you right there? Yeah. And, you know, I think as an ally or as in a non-Indigenous person trying to learn more, Yeah. I think it's amazing that you're prefacing this interview with that. Yeah. But I also want to be very cognizant of you know cultural policing okay and you know i think part of um, the trick with the whole concept of reconciliation is non-indigenous canadians Mm -hmm. um, don't necessarily feel comfortable engaging Mm -hmm. and say like we don't know and are so worried or like native first nations metis inuit sure sure aboriginal what like even the terminology it's all you know Everyone's afraid of doing something wrong. And so I think, you know, walking into something apologizing. Yeah. um, We have to be very careful about that. Okay. I think it's very important for everyone to acknowledge, like, the hard parts of the history Mm -hmm. of what happened to indigenous people here in Canada. Yeah. But I mean, as an immigrant or a new settler here to Canada... You know, we're all on this learning journey together. Okay. And walking into it apologizing might not necessarily fit everybody. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, d- was there ever a time, because um, you, you currently were, you know, working with the Downey Wenjack Fund and you've worked for many years, um, you know, uh, advocating, uh, was there was there a time that you remember where you became self-aware of all of these issues and who you were in relationship to Canada and Canadians? 
so, I mean, for me, mm -hmm. I am very pale. I'm very fair. I'm female. I'm young. Uh, and, you know, being Métis or being indigenous, and I would say being Métis is a different identity altogether. Okay. So I uh, grew up in Alberta, and there's, you know, a pretty strong Métis culture and uh, population. And so I knew who I was and where I came from. And when I moved to Ontario, it was a bit of a different experience for me. And, I mean, in terms of identity... You know, being Indigenous is something I've always been proud of. Uh, my grandfather and, you know, my grandfather's brother, Chester Cunningham, he started Native Counseling Services in Alberta. And so, you know, I come from a long line of frontline service providers. So people always ask me, like, how did you end up in this role? Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, I very much have it in my blood. And sure. people talk about blood imprinting and how that affects uh, who you are and who you become and the blood memory. And I really do believe it's true. But in terms of, you know, how it's affected me, I think I have a very unique perspective because I've kind of been able to walk a foot in both worlds for most of my life. And, you know, the whole question of identity and culture and belonging is something that I think everybody struggles with. And what I think is really important um, for the national conversation in terms of the relationship with Indigenous people is understanding the history and the cultural, like, let's be frank, genocide hmm. that, you know, colonial systems and the Canadian government imposed upon Indigenous people in this country. Those are things that we need to talk about those are things that we need to acknowledge in order to be able to move forward but I don't necessarily think that you know that's it for today like hmm. there's more conversations that need to happen and we're just very much starting you know opening up the dialogue to say how are we going to move forward yeah in, in an interview you gave, you, you talked about um, the strong female role models mm -hmm. in your life. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk about one or two of them. Absolutely. I would say I come from a very matriarchal family, hmm. a family of entrepreneurs and a family of leaders. And, you know, the women in my life, my mom and my grandmother and my great-grandmother and my aunties and my cousins they're just powerhouses mm. and I'm so lucky um, you know when I was young and you know needed a ride home I could call any one of 15 people <laughs> that could come and pick me up and I think you know and when I entered into the work world and you know I was trying to figure out where I fit and what I was going to do you know I had the great privilege of working under really strong indigenous female leaders like Roberta Jameson that just, you know, really set the path um, to be in this space and to be able to, you know, own positions of leadership. Mm -hmm. um, you're now with the Downey Wenjack Fund, mm -hmm. president and CEO. Um, you, you've always been the president and CEO of the Downey Wenjack Fund since its inception or... So 
yeah, I guess I'm, okay. I guess I'm full-time employee number one. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, you know, there was a lot of champions and a lot of, you know, Gord's friends and family. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his brothers and, you know, that really took their collective goodwill and passion and willed the fund into being. Yeah. And we would not be where we are today without, I think, everyone's sweat equity and yeah. tears and hard, hard volunteer hours. Um, but, you know, uh, when I joined the fund almost a year ago, uh, you know, we really uh, set it on a path to really try and just scale up the impact that we could have and set a solid platform to be able to influence years of mm -hmm. uh, positive momentum within the reconciliation space. And there's lots of organizations out there doing really good work. And when the Downey Bunjack Fund, you know, really got its footing, it's we're not here to occupy all this space. We're here to, you know, leverage everyone's strengths and walk on this journey together. Yeah. When, when you saw... I don't know whether you saw one of the three Canadians did, so I'll, I'll ask you if you saw um, the Hips last concert in Kingston. You did, okay. Um, and you and you heard um, Gord Downey challenge uh, Pierre Trudeau, who was in the in the crowd. Justin. Justin Trudeau. Did I say Pierre? Oh my God, Justin Trudeau. Yes. <laughs> um, what went through your head? You know, it's one of those rare moments when you just say, did he actually just do that? Yeah. Like, that is kind of like a TSN turning point. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're going to, you know, like, we can we can flip back on this moment and say, yeah. but, but look at it. And, you know, the camera kind of, like, uh, I don't know, camera speak, but, like, scanned over to, like, shine on yeah. JT's face. And, yeah. You know, everyone... There was such an energy there, and mm -hmm. if you were there, it was such an incredible thing to be a part of. Were you there live? I was not. Okay, all right. Things I can, <laughs> things I can only wish. Right? Um, but it really, it really uh, served as kind of that game changer to be able to say, you know, we can do more, and to hold Canada accountable and say, what are we going to do next? Like now that Gord has used his platform mm -hmm. to shine light on, you know, the history and legacy of residential schools in Canada and say, we need to acknowledge this as Canadians and we need to do better and we need to do something mm -hmm. to move forward. And, uh, yeah, being in that moment, I think, was so important because, you know, as an Indigenous person, and I think maybe every Indigenous person watching that was just like, <laughs> you know, just like that's amazing. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, I asked both uh, Mike Downey and uh, Stu Cox this question when they when they came in studio, um, and, and the question was something along the lines of, "Did you get pushback by by creating this fund, and essentially the face of the fund is this white guy? Um, was there pushback from?" the indigenous first nations community and did you feel that you had the did you feel that you needed permission to and so i asked him that question and the, i don't want to ask you the same question 
But the question I have for you is when they came to you, um, what were your thoughts on the fund? And it, you know, I know they've included uh, people from First Nations and Indigenous communities, but, you know, was there any thought that you gave to, you know, is this the right place for me or can I do it somewhere else? I'm curious on, on that. That's a really tough question, uh, to be honest. So there's kind of two pieces to that. So the first piece I would say is that, you know, anyone who says, you know, what right did Gordowney have to do this mm-hmm. uh, in this space? And, you know, this is just a further extension of, you know, the impact of colonization where, you know, a, a, you know, non-indigenous rock star is the one who has to draw attention to this part of the history of Canada. And I would say, you know, for anyone who knew Gord, he was such a, like a selfless person when he was operating in this space. Like, he very much was using his platform to just say, this this isn't right. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about this, and I was so ashamed. Mm-hmm. And now that I know, I can't unknow. And everyone else needs to know. And, you know, I'm in this very unique position where I can kind of u- leverage sure. the fact that, A, I have this huge platform. And, you know, the timing was a big player, too. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think anyone who says what right do you have is kind of missing you know the point and the potential that this call to action has to really make Canada better mm-hmm. because there's lots of people within you know the hip army and yeah. non-indigenous Canadians that never felt invited into the conversation before and they might have been afraid to misstep or afraid to ask hard questions or afraid of saying the wrong thing or just a shame that they never n- knew or, you know, I didn't do that, so why do I have to care? And, you know, Gord really used his platform to say, you know, this is something we all need to acknowledge and internalize and we need to fix it. Yeah. And it's really powerful. And I think that, you know, asking that question of what right do you have is kind of cultural policing. Mm. You got to be very careful about that. Um, because that doesn't set us on a healing path forward. Mm. You know, it it kind of perpetuates you in a state of who's right and who's wrong and what right do you have, and it's missing the point of how can we learn, yeah. understand, and not do it again. Absolutely. Like, let's stop the racism. Let's stop the cultural genocide. Let's stop, you know, the systemic barriers, you know, there's just so much work to be done and mm-hmm. I think saying what right did he have to you know use his platform to do this is totally missing the point of the potential we have to really change the conversation and shift Canadian consciousness absolutely so the Downey Wenjack Fund mm-hmm. tell me about it what is its main mission the main mission is to you know, improve the relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians through awareness, education, and action. 
uh, the long-term goals are mm -hmm. for us to, you know, be able to use our platform and our power to convene to increase access to safe spaces for Indigenous youth. And you have to remember, like, we're a brand new charitable organization. Mm -hmm. We're a year deep now. Uh, and the potential is there to really be able to leverage this momentum into doing some really good work. Yeah. Was it a year or so ago you guys got uh, a big funding? Or at least there was an announcement of funding, I should say. Um, <laughs> uh, from the government, I don't know what, how much it was. I can't remember. But um, what, was, what, what, what did that mean for the organization? So I think there's this common misconception that because we're called the Gordami and Chani Lenjack Fund, uh -huh. that we're sitting on like $100 million that we can just dish out. Sure, sure. But really it was, you know, just the idea and the platform for us to be able to do more. Mm -hmm. There's no big pile of money we're sitting on. And so it was really, you know, the federal government and, you know, Justin being called out there. <laughs> You know, everyone could recognize the unique position the Downey Manjack Fund occupies to be able to partner with, you know, public, private, community to be able to mobilize some of these projects, to be able to, you know, improve education outcomes, just draw people into the conversation. And we really kind of just, frankly, we needed that support from the feds to be able to get up and running. Mm -hmm. Canadians donated. Yeah. And that was amazing. But it, I think people would be very surprised to understand, like, donating for a week out of a year is not enough to start a national sure. charity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're starting, I guess tomorrow is the start. Mm -hmm. of, so we're recording on October the 16th, and uh, I'm going to do my best to get this up within the next few days. <laughs> um because it's important. Um, but from October the 17th to the 22nd is Secret Path Week. Um, and those two dates aren't sort of just picked at random. Um, those are two... I don't, know if I don't know if the word important is the right word to use, but those two dates are significant. Um, October the 17th is the day that Gordowney passed. And uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but is it the 22nd or the 23rd, 22nd, that Chani Wenjak passed? They oh, found wait. him on the 23rd. They, they found him on the 23rd, so yeah. he passed away the day before. Um, so we're, we're, we're remembering these two uh, giants, if that's a fair term to use. Um, and also... Well, well, tell me, you tell me, what, what is this week meant to be? So uh, we launched a national program just this past September through the support of Northland Power, the support of a lot of our champions, uh, you know, that really believed in the potential of the fund from the early days. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of family foundations stepped up and said, you know, there's a real opportunity here. And... We launched the program, which literally disseminated 535-ish uh, legacy school toolkits to schools and classrooms across Canada. 
And what it does is it's really using the secret path as in, you know, a gateway teaching tool to invite educators to, you know, learn more and maybe just to feel a bit more comfortable teaching about the history and legacy of residential schools. Because if you didn't learn about it yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, are you going to be super comfortable teaching about it in the classroom? Sure. And, you know, it doesn't even speak to the fact that you know, what school board do you belong to? Do you have resources that you can use? You know, we can disseminate toolkits a lot faster than you can reform curriculum. Yeah. So uh, we launched the week, and what we're trying to do is create an annual national movement where we can help educators teach about, you know, the history and legacy of residential schools. You start with Orange Shirt Day, and you kind of roll through October um, to Secret Path Week, and, you know, once you learn about the history, how do you take that next step? And how do you take action within your own communities? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's the hashtag reconciliation and what are you doing? And so each year, you know, we're inviting our legacy spaces and our legacy schools to engage in the week. And um, this year, I mean, we've got about 20 events happening nationally. And yeah. Uh, it's super exciting, very grassroots, a lot of third-party fundraisers and a lot of community champions saying we want to be a part of it. And we just hope that we can invite more uh, schools and partners and spaces into the movement and uh, it'll just grow over time. So it happens every year. And then instead of saying, you know, residential schools, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Whose land are you on? What does that mean? Indigenous people, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. People just understand you know, the history and legacy of residential schools, history of indigenous people in this country, appreciate the rich cultural um, contributions that indigenous cultures can make mm-hmm. to our identity as Canadians. And for that to be translated as something that we're proud of. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's part of the missing piece is there's such a richness to indigenous culture and Mm -hmm. everyone should uh, everyone should open their hearts and open their minds and open their awareness to what's happening in their communities you told me about one event prior to us recording Um, what what sort of events are happening um, across the country maybe maybe highlight a couple of them if you could sure so there's a legacy space opening. Uh, well, there's two tomorrow. Mm-hmm. One is at a skateboard shop just on Queen Street here in Toronto called So Hip It Hurts. And uh, they're making a limited edition series of skateboards that has artwork from the Secret Path on it. And all of uh, the profit from the sales is going to the Downey Runjack Fund and they'll release a new limited edition each year and you know you think oh a skateboard shop like how is that a legacy space and how are they contributing and I mean what is, well, explain a little bit what is a legacy space so the legacy spaces are uh, another program within the Downey Runjack Fund and the idea is that organizations or corporations or community partners can say you know we want to make the commitment to doing more and we're going to earmark physical space within our organization or we're going to you know, create this movement or this event so that 
were helping the work of reconciliation through, you know, education and awareness and action that contributes back to the fund. So um, I think what's really exciting about all of this uh, is the potential for, you know, different spaces and different projects to do different things. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's been legacy spaces within, you know, the three C3 ship. We opened spaces in Halifax last week at Dalhousie and Cape Breton University and with Halifax Regional Municipality. And, you know, you could really see the momentum of a community really latching onto the idea of it's not just a physical space. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you make the commitment and then it can serve as this community gathering place, as this teaching tool, as this kind of gateway for everyone to become involved in the work of reconciliation and it's really encouraging to see the momentum that the movement has mm -hmm. and so you think you know selling skateboards like <laughs> how is that a legacy space how is that a reconciliation sure, sure. but you know it is it really is because how many you know skateboarders or people walking down queen street will stop and say oh like what is that all about yeah it's for everyone it's 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 meant to be inclusive big time of everyone right um, what do you hope happens after October the 22nd, after October the 23rd, in the days, weeks, months, and, and, and years, you know, after these secret path weeks, what, what sort of, what sort of Canada are we hoping to, to create? Well, I can only speak personally. Yeah. Um, you know, it's to increase if you increase education and awareness about different cultures and, you know, some of the hard parts, and I say hard parts, but I mean gross, traumatic parts that left, you know, in generations of trauma. Mm -hmm. If you can recognize that as part of the history of Canada, then you can really internalize that as, you know, part of our history and something that we have to acknowledge in order to be able to move forward. And so I think that awareness is key to be able to say, you know, who are you as a Canadian? Mm -hmm. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know the original people of the land that you're on today? Mm -hmm. And do you know what the Canadian government did and do you know the impact that that had? And do you know why, you know, there's treaties and there's reserves and why these are national conversations around missing and murdered indigenous women and girls? And, mm -hmm. you know, without understanding the whole picture, I don't think you can really comprehend what's happened. Wow. And without understanding that, how can you make sure it never happens again? And how can you make sure that those atrocities don't continue to happen? Mm -hmm. And so is it, is it through education that we learn and we change our attitudes? Absolutely. A yeah. Because if you, I mean, it's that, it's that unknowing. Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, breeds misconceptions and breeds stereotypes and breeds racism yeah and so I'm, I'm i'm just sort of is there is there 
is there like is there like an end point? And and what I'm trying to fi- what I'm trying to understand, and I know this this is like a, a long term thing. This isn't something that you know it's seven, seven days. Okay, it's all good. Maybe seven generations. Everybody, yeah. seven ge- Yes, are we look? Is that what we're doing? Are we looking that far? Yeah. Yeah. That's a teaching from uh, a lot of elders within different indigenous communities. But no, it's going to take us seven generations to heal. To heal. And I mean, seven generations might be short. It's not that much time, right? It was a. It sounds like forever, though. No. 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 I mean, if you think about, you know, how long residential schools were in existence, mm-hmm. how long indigenous people were colonized, how long this genocide mm. has been happening, 70 years. Is... Mm. It's like forever. Mm-hmm. Wow. Is 1492? It... I mean, like. Yeah. Yeah. And how many generations back would that... I mean, when I think of generations, I'm thinking there's me, there's my son, and there's my dad, and then there's my grandfather. Right. So there's four generations right there. You're right. It is not a long. No. That's 70 years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... Yeah. Wow. So literally within the next... Within the next hundred years. But it does. I mean, for me, it seems like, wow, that's like forever ago. You know, it's it's like how we treat this whole idea of climate change. It's it's yeah yeah. The last residential school closed in nineteen ninety six, so I feel like that wasn't that long ago. Friends was on. And you know what? I I remember I I distinctly remember when I first my first memory of the term mm-hmm. residential school. I distinctly remembering, oh that's a cool thing. These kids were able to go to a school and have a place to live. That that was the that was the thinking in my head. And then when I found out about it, like very recently, when I first, when I started to understand, oh wait a second, they were taken away from their families. Families were ripped apart. Yeah. These kids were forced to unlearn their culture and forced to learn uh, a foreign culture and a language and so on. Um, it was I was like. What here? It was it was shocking, and disturbing, to me to to, you know we 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 sometimes Canadians sit on this throne and look down at the states and tisk tisk, racism, um, and we've not that it's a competition, but we have been worse in in in, in many respects, to to people, uh, that that are living here, um. But the, my my sort of in in my mind, I'm sort of thinking: is there a is there a point in time where one would say, uh, okay, we've 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 now reached this point of re- of reconciliation? Like, what does that does that look like? Something? I don't know that that's something that I can speak to. Mm. I think um, we can improve outcomes. We can you know, decrease the amount of indigenous children that are in the welfare system. We can mm. in- decrease the amount of so indigenous people in the thing. justice system. Yeah. We can ensure there's, you know, housing and clean drinking water and that pisses me off. Yeah. That there's not, you know, third world conditions within indigenous communities an hour away from Ottawa. Like it's 
absurd mm -hmm. that we're not fixing that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this idea of when can we benchmark that reconciliation's achieved, mm -hmm. I think it's something that we continually work at, just like any relationship. It's something you continually work at, mm -hmm. and over time it improves. Yeah. Uh, we, we had in Canada this Truth and Reconciliation Commission, mm -hmm. and there were these um, calls to action. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many there were. 94. 94. Where, where are we as, as a country? You're, you're shaking your head no. Uh, so uh, the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation does kind of a report card yeah. about uh, where, so if you want to see how they've rated about where we are as a country, you can, you can look at it there. I think it's a really difficult question. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done in a lot of different sectors. And there's a lot of bureaucratic systems, and there's a lot of progress uh, that needs to be made, like economically and in terms of governance uh, within communities as well. How are we doing, and how do we benchmark that? Mm. I think that's something that I don't think I can speak to. But I think if we continue to have these conversations like this five years from now, and it's not just something that was topical because of the commission for a couple of years and everyone was held accountable and then it fizzled out and ended up as a report on the shelf, mm. I think that's the most important thing is what are the impacts on the ground? Yeah. How is it, how is it actually improving lives in indigenous communities? How have those recommendations changed outcomes for Indigenous youth? Hmm. And do you see a role on a yearly basis for Secret Path Week to help continue this momentum? If it helps to continue the conversation, then I would say absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, if it's something that we have you know, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of Canadians and classrooms participating in every year, mm -hmm. then, you know, I would say that we can do a lot to ensure that, you know, this part of the history of Canada and, you know, the history that needs to be taught in the classroom, you know, isn't just swept under the rug and mm -hmm. forgotten about, uh, then we're doing a good thing. Yeah. Is there one call to action you feel is so doable, so quickly, so like it should happen yesterday? Um, like if Justin called you up and he goes, okay, I can do one of these. I don't know. Is, is, there, is there one that is like, I don't understand why this one thing can't be done right away. This would solve so many issues. That's a really difficult question. And I mean, there's... 10, you know, drinking water, child welfare, housing, the way our justice system works, mental health supports. Mm. Um, there's, there's 20, you know, social indicators of health that could be improved. 
But I would say one of the biggest things, in my opinion, is you know the fact that we're even having these conversations mm-hmm. um, help, and it's not enough. But if you learn about it, yeah, and then you're wondering like why, why, as a Canadian, why aren't you know Indigenous people in these communities privileged to have privileged to yeah, have water? Water. Is that right? Hmm. No, it's not right. right. So it becomes when it becomes a a thing that we are all distinctly aware of, um, and and it comes to our attention that there's like you said, like literally even an hour from where we're sitting, um, there's there's uh, neighborhoods that have water advisories. Now we're outside of Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, there's boil advisories even on Six Nations. Like, well, my brother lives in Whitby, and he says literally yeah. just up. He's a literally half an hour north of him. Yeah. There's water advisories. Um, and, and it just boggles my mind. Um, you know, I can understand that maybe mental health issues, that takes time because, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I have no clue how these things work. But to me, it's like money, engineering, you got clean water. Right. And, and it's sort of a political will to say, make this happen. And there's there, here's the deadline. You know, if 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 Trudeau and prime ministers before and prime ministers after, you know, just make a political decision similar to decision that tomorrow everyone's going to apparently smoke weed. Mm-hmm. Um, if we if we were that focused on ensuring that every Canadian had clean drinking water. Is it that complicated, though? I mean, to me, it doesn't seem <laughs> to be. But it's, it seems to me it should be that cut and dry. It should be that they set a date and they missed it by six months. But what is six months, you know, in, in the grand scheme of generations? Right. Right. You know. Um, and I get asked all the time, like, what can you do? Like, once you, what one can of you my do? Questions. Vote. Write letters to your MPs. Be mm. active in the bureaucratic system because at the end of the day, that is still what we're governed under in this country. And if we all adhere to that system, then understand how it works and understand how to work within it. And I think uh, part of what we're missing and part of what I'm really concerned about mm. with things like tomorrow yeah, is, you know, that political activism and understanding your power to vote yeah it is nuts um i'm i'm curious about land acknowledgement mm-hmm. um i was very happy to hear that at my son's school i should find out whether his new school has this but they would do land acknowledgement whenever they did the morning announcements they would start off there um and i talked to um jay sewell about land acknowledgement and he's 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 very firm on making sure it's done right not just saying that we live on on you know the former lands of you know wherever we we happen to be but also taking it a step further you know to talk about the people that used to live here and what we've what settlers have quote unquote taken and that sort of thing what's what is your thoughts on when you hear land acknowledgements you know, I'm happy that those are happening. 
mm-hmm. because I would say just like it is a gateway to learning. Being able to start your day with saying, you know, there is other cultures, communities, people, the first peoples of Canada here on these lands. And let's talk about that first Mm -hmm. before, you know, singing O Canada, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's really significant. And I think, you know, it's those things that might seem small in a school but actually make a big difference because, you know, when you're six years old in a grade one classroom, acknowledging that indigenous people were here first is a big step forward. Yeah. You're a very patient person. Um, I, I don't know whether I would be patient. <laughs> I can see where someone like a J-Soul comes from, you know, um, being very passionate and wanting things to happen like right like now like why are we you know dilly dallying i, I don't want to and i don't want to put words in his mouth um where do you find your patience from <laughs> would you say that i'm correct in saying that like would you oh 100 oh, yeah but i mean that's a really complicated question because you forget there's a lot of things that i've learned mm. um to kind of integrate into my perspective and worldview the fact that you know i'm female i'm indigenous i'm you know young mm-hmm. means that if i'm pushing mm. i'm seen as difficult okay aggressive mm. i won't be invited to have these conversations with you And am I okay with that? Absolutely not. Does it make me angry? Uh, Absolutely. But is that going to accomplish what I'm trying to achieve? No. Hmm. Fair. No, that is... Yeah. Um, Okay, so we talked about, you know, you talked about, you know, what people can do, you know, voting, writing letters, these sorts of things. You know, tomorrow, uh, go to the... downywenjack.com.org I'm so CA. sorry I should know this uh, .ca um, what do you want people to do this week? participate Okay. create a reconciliation in your community mm-hmm. watch the secret path mm-hmm. learn about whose land you're on interact with the indigenous communities in your community yeah. figure out how you can help I mean, maybe even just learn about what a residential school is. Maybe just do something very simple and watch a movie by an indigenous filmmaker Mm -hmm. or read a book by an indigenous author or listen to some incredible indigenous artists. And, you know, that one step forward isn't too small. I really do believe that, you know, just taking that one step will make a difference. Yeah. My brother gave me the Secret Path uh, book. Uh, I think he gave it for my birthday or for, was it for Christmas? And I still can't read it. It is so hard. Like for me, and this is for me, mm-hmm. you know, as, as an immigrant, I didn't even experience this. And, and, and I have it there and I, I can't even, I think I've read one poem. Um, I think... I, I was able to sit through uh, one of the Secret Path concerts I watched on TV. 
Mm-hmm. I was able to sit through that. Um, I can't watch the movie. Um, yeah, it's 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 powerful. Yeah, it's powerful. Powerful. It's sad. It is real. Yeah. And I mean, I always refer to the secret path as like a gateway teaching tool mm-hmm. because it doesn't assign shame or blame. It's just like this story. is an interpretation of Chani's story. Sure, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. And in a mediums that are very digestible mm-hmm. but are hard and they push right mm-hmm. which is the power of the secret path but i mean at the end of the day the thing that makes you uncomfortable is the thing that's going to make change okay <laughs> so i i would just encourage you to sit through it yeah and lean into that discomfort and I think as a family, maybe we'll show your whole family and all your friends. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Right. Yeah. That would be something to do. Instead of like turning away because that's what everyone has done. Mm. And that's the problem. Okay. It makes you uncomfortable. So you just say it's too hard. I don't want to touch it. Yeah. But we have to. Yeah. It's a part of being here. Yeah. It's part of the reconciliation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um. As a CEO, uh, and and maybe it's different um, with 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 the fund or with with a nonprofit, you must sort of set these long term goals. Um, so let me ask you, you know, five years from now, where where are we? What what impact has the fund made five years from now? Where are we as a country? So. I mean, I feel like every CEO of a not-for-profit or, you know, a charitable organization should be trying to work themselves out of a job. Fair. So, I mean, in five years, if I can say, you know, every classroom in Canada is teaching about the history and legacy of residential schools, Mm -hmm. there's clean drinking water, there's social infrastructure supports from the federal government there's housing supports there's safe spaces for indigenous youth and northern communities you know the youth suicide crisis is diminished and outcomes are improved then i can say you know we've done some good work here yeah let's shut the fun down do i think five years is enough time probably not Mm -hmm. but i really hope it is yeah and i have to hope it is because if I don't dream that big. You won't dream that big. Yeah. And you're who needs to jump on this journey with us to make the difference. Mm-hmm. Sarah, is, is there anything that, that, that I've missed that you want to make sure we, we discuss or talk about? The only thing I would say is, I mean, learn more, ask questions. Don't be afraid to engage and do something. Mm-hmm. Like heed Gord's call to action and just do something. Don't let this conversation die as something that was topical for a while. Yeah. We need to stop this. Mm-hmm. We need to improve outcomes for indigenous people in this country. And, you know, settling for what's happened in the past is not acceptable. Let's yeah. do more. I think I'm, I'm going to read the book before the weekend. And we're gonna sit down as a family and watch that movie. I think that that's something that we're that we should do, at the very least. 
at the very least we should do. Um, thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. For coming in. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this conversation. And if you want to hear more conversations like this, uh, I encourage you to go to creamkanji.com and listen to my conversations with uh, Jay Sowell, Stuart Cox, and Mike Downey. Thank you so much. So I'm going to say chimigwech, which is thank you. And I had that written Chinese down. language. Chimigwech. Chimigwech. Um, I would say marci, which is mchith. But chani is chimigwech. So thank you. 